Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Corey White to actually talk about a different topic, one that we need to be more aware of, especially in our roles as leaders, and that is how to prevent a cybersecurity attack. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Corey White. As a transformative servant leader, Corey is a proven entrepreneur focused on innovating and creating new paradigms in the security industry and life. His leadership style is focused on an employee-first approach because of the positive impact of happy employees to their customer relationships. Corey has chosen to take a people-centric approach to life and to let all outcomes be driven by that philosophy. 25 years of experience in the security industry has seasoned him to create the next exponential evolution. And you'll hear more and learn more from Corey as him and I discuss how to prevent a cybersecurity attack. Corey White, it is so great to have you here. Welcome to the Leadership Habit Podcast. I'm excited to talk about this topic, one that's often not necessarily delivered or presented as it relates to our role as leaders, but yet something that is so incredibly important to understand in leadership today. So Corey, before we jump into our topic, which is how to prevent that cybersecurity talk or t- attack, or maybe how to improve our ability to understand what else could be going out there, Let's go ahead and turn it over to you. Tell me a little bit more or introduce yourself to our audience, a little bit more about your background, what you do, and heck, anything you would like to share with our audience, we'll take it. Okay. Well, well Jen, so glad you have me here. Um, this is going to be a fun topic because um, I, I love diving in and demystifying you know, cybersecurity. Um, I've been doing this for 27 years. I've been a penetration tester. I've been an incident responder. I've, I've run multiple teams around the world around cybersecurity. So I kind of been there and done that over the last 27 years. And so got lots of insight that I'm looking forward to sharing. So let's dive in. Yeah, well, first, let's level set. I'm going to start with this question first, which is, why do leaders need to care? Because isn't that just the role of their IT team that's supposed to be over there managing all that? Like, do I, as someone that maybe I don't feel like my role is directly responsible for that, need to care? Let's let's level set there. And then we're going to go into some myths about it. But why do leaders need to care about this topic? Well, it's a few things. Um, if you're a leader and you're you're on the board for your particular company, boards are now being held accountable for cybersecurity attacks. And so um, you have a responsibility to make sure that the companies that you're on the board for are doing proper cybersecurity controls. Now, the other piece, like there's a lot, lot of reasons, not go quickly through them, but uh, you think about compliance, just for your business to, to actually do business with other businesses. Um, you sometimes need to have stock two compliance, need to have proof that you have a security program in place because there's a thing called third-party attacks. And you think about um, Target, when Target got attacked, it was a, a, a air conditioning company Phaseal Mechanical that got hacked and then they were connected to the target and then that's how they got into Target's network and hacked them. So your third parties have to be secure. So if you're a small company, do business with a bigger company, they're now forcing you to be secure. The last reason why you you as an individual, even you, Jan, everybody should care about cybersecurity is because I'll I'll tell you a really quick story. I was doing this incident with this um, pretty big company in Los Angeles and they, the user had clicked on something, gotten themselves compromised, and a keylogger got put onto their system. Well, when we did forensics, we could see that that Friday when they got their check and they when they checked their bank account, it keylogged their credentials. 
So the hacker had their credentials, okay? So when your computer, even at work, and you do personal things on it, they get into your account, your identity, your personal information is compromised, not just the company. So you need to care about the company and also your personal information. And I could go on. There are a lot of reasons why you should care, but those are some of the top ones. Oh my gosh. Well, we have, right? Is there a way that we actually can never, never not care about this in the age of data, in the age of all of this? I feel like it's kind of one of those things that all of us need to be aware of. And I appreciate that perspective because I never thought about even having a third-party vendor be someone that could actually create more vulnerability for the organization. I honestly never thought about that because you would think that, well, our organization likely has everything taken care of, so I don't have to worry about what maybe the other organization is doing. And so maybe that brings us into some of the myths. What are the myths that you see people have around cybersecurity? Well, uh, now see, what I want to know what some of yours are too, but I'll throw out some of the common ones. Oh, I got antivirus. I'm good. Okay. Yeah, that is actually my number one. Like, I don't know. I have my internet security. I, I'm assuming everything is there. I ran a check or something. I mean, I often yeah. actually, I feel like I was much more aware of it even 10 years ago than today. I just really assume that that software is doing whatever I needed to do to protect me, even though I actually couldn't tell you what it's doing. <laughs> Well, let me give you some insight. I've spent um, in my career 15 years of it at, at, at a very large antivirus companies. And so to give you some insight into legacy antivirus was created in 1987. Okay. Last time I checked is what, 2022? If we're using 1987 technology uh, that just matches signatures, um, um, I'm going to take a stab in the dark that the hackers have a way around that. Okay. Yeah. They do. <laughs> And, and so antivirus was actually never really designed to stop attacks, new attacks. So it means if I create some brand new malware that no one's ever seen before, it doesn't have a signature to match, to detect it. And so I'm going to get in every single time. So the hackers, when they want to attack a new company or whatever, they create a new piece of malware that no one's ever seen before. And so they always get in because the traditional antivirus has never seen it. So that's one of the biggest challenges there. Now, there's newer antivirus, which is called next-gen antivirus, uses artificial intelligence and has a lot more built into it that can stop these. But the problem is, us as a cybersecurity industry, we have this thing called, we're going to do managed detection and response or extended detection and response. And what that means is, is that we're going to install this really great endpoint protection antivirus solution. And it's not, we're not going to configure it to stop the thing. We're just going to detect when something bad happens. So the malware will execute on your system and the hacker could do bad stuff. And then you get an alert, but the incident actually happens, which I think is ridiculous. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I've been changing in the last few years is trying to stop that type of approach. But that gives you insight into how do these attacks happen, what we're doing wrong, and the basics do not work anymore. The hackers are getting much smarter than that. So it's kind of like the security that we have today is basically like an insurance policy. You know, it's there like, oh, we know that something bad is going to happen. And so then we'll figure it out. But it's not necessarily understanding what's going to happen before that. You had said it's just more of the response once the ailment or the issue occurs. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But here's the thing. To stop a cyber attack, frankly, I'll put it this way. There are two different types of cyber attacks, just put it in simple terms. One is a nation-state cyber attack that is state-sponsored by a government and sophisticated hackers. They're kind of going to get in, okay, eventually, okay? Now, and I've done a bunch of those big ones as well. The majority of them 
is what I call a drive-by hack. So what I mean by that is you look at your, your street that your house is on and you drive down the street and your, your garage door is up, Jen, and your, your side gate is cracked open. When it becomes dark, whose house are they breaking into? You're the low-hanging fruit. That's the same thing with cybersecurity. If you don't have basic multi-factor authentication and endpoint protection blocking and patch all your vulnerabilities, you're that low-hanging fruit. You're going to get hacked. And what are they looking for? When we think about, I know this is a little off script, but like, what are people looking for? Because when I've seen cybersecurity attacks, one thing that I saw in an organization in my role as HR was I worked for a financial institution. And so one of the attacks that they were looking for was to try and obviously take money from the financial institution. But what are some of the things that hackers might be looking for? Yeah, yeah, that has evolved quite a bit. I remember when I first started, um, you know, they, the hackers got in the basement. They were just hacking in and defacing websites. And, and that was what, what you got, that you got hacked in. Then it's more of a fun thing to see it to yeah. like approving. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, like late 90s, early 2000s. Then and they start realizing, wait a second, we can we can still personal identifiable information and, and still identities. We can we can still credit card information and make credit cards like you can target Home Depot type of hack. But if you notice, we haven't heard of a big credit card hack in a long time. This is what because things have evolved. The thing called ransomware. And business email compromise are out now. So what they're hacking, hacking for is for profit. So let's talk about ransomware. Ransomware originally was just malware, malicious software. Now it is a hack first. So whenever you get a little pop-up on your computer, it says, hey, it's time to update security, do security updates, please do this update. And you don't do it, then you can be exploited um, just by sitting on the internet. For instance, about a month, month and a half ago, there was a Microsoft vulnerability. And I pick up Microsoft, there's a bunch of different companies that have these vulnerabilities. That's why you should be diligent about your patching. But they allow you to get into any Microsoft system out there. Okay? And so the hackers, if you're sitting on the internet and you haven't patched, you can get exploited. And so you have to do the basics of patching your system. And so once they get into your company and they realize, oh, I'm making up a scenario. Oh, this company actually has money. Let's encrypt their systems with ransomware, malware, and then disable their backups and then um, go through and look see what their cybersecurity insurance policy, how much that pays, that's, and how much money they have in the bank. And that's what we set the ransom to. That's what hacks look like today. So literally, they're going through and hacking for profit and using the knowledge of your internal network to figure out how high they set the ransom. And I'll give you a quick example of that, which is um, pretty interesting. About three, four years ago, I did an incident for a company, and they had um, the ransom. There were five people in the company. The ransom was $50,000. I'm like, that is way too high. They packed into you. They know you have $50,000. That's why they said it that way. So to answer your question, they're hacking for profit. Same thing with business email compromise. Business email compromise, if they're able to get into your email, if you just use username and password and not any kind of multi-factor authentication, then they're going to get in and they're going to redirect your emails. If you normally pay Corey White 50000 a month, they're going to say, hey, I have a new bank account. I'm sending it to this bank account. It looks like it came from me or it looks valid. And it did because they hacked into my email. So they'll be able to redirect that money, get it sent to their account. So those are the two prominent hacks that are happening, happening today. So is it more always about just that that financial number that I can get after the hack? Or is it, do you also see like maybe people trying to go for someone for trade secrets or IP. Like, does that happen? All the time. Absolutely, all the time. Um, there's a company I was doing instant response for um, about five, six years ago. 
they um they said it used to be our products. They, we would see it out on only the market, you know, copies of them. It take them about two years. Then it went down to a year. Then it went down to about six months. Now it is before they release their product, there's already a copy of it out there. Um, and that was something in the medical space. So yes, absolutely. Well, this is so important. So bringing it back to, you know, the leader, depending on the industry you're in, whether it's obviously the vulnerability that you might have as an individual and the information or data that's being collected or that they could take, but that this could eventually, you know, if you don't understand it, it could lead to your business closing its door, your competitor creating a substitution for something that maybe you were waging all of your fourth quarter revenue targets on. So this really could be down to whether your org- how well your organization understands cybersecurity can determine how successful it will be and whether its doors will even be open in five to 10 years. Is that a fair like way to look at it? Oh, 100%. I mean, if you have trade secrets or if you have a new business strategy, whatever, um, and that's out on the internet, the other thing which happens in ransomware quite a bit um, <laughs> is they will steal your data and they'll put it up on the internet and it's distortion. They're like, hey, we have your data. And if you don't pay this ransom, then we're going to release this to the internet. Okay. And a lot of companies don't believe it, but oh, yeah, there's a lot of data out there and intellectual property out there. This has been released to the internet uh, because companies you know, didn't think that the ransomware hackers had it. But when, when I always do incident response, I always ask, all right, show me, show me this is our data, this company's data, so we can see. And then usually they, they can produce it and then like, okay. And then you can try to negotiate with the hackers. But um, that's that's what's happening out there. So it's very important to make sure you protect your intellectual property. Well, now I feel like it makes so much more sense where with what you opened with that, if you're on a board or if you're in a certain level of leadership, this is actually now something that you are held accountable to because it will have so much of an impact of the viability or long-term success of the organization. And so I appreciate you saying that. Maybe it's time to go back to going looking at some of our myths. So I know that I am vulnerable to one of those myths. Like I'm protected because I have an internet security. What are some of the other myths that people have about cybersecurity? Yeah, yeah. I think the other one, which we all got to really think about is um, I have a firewall. Hey, my firewall protects me. Well, it's 2022 after the pandemic. Um, everybody's working remote and at home and remote everywhere else, right? So the firewall you had in your corporate office, that no longer exists. The only firewall you have is in some cases, your username and password and whatever weak antivirus you may or may not have. And so you are essentially wide open if you're a remote user. Um, and now you're going through some kind of VPN, which most people are not. Um, they're just connecting to cloud SaaS applications. Uh, you think of it like your Salesforce, your Office 365, AWS, Slack, all of those things um, are username and password. Now, the key here is you need to have the two-factor authentication to, to help secure that because now that becomes your firewall or at least one component of it. So um, we have to think about things differently now because... Yeah, it's not where we're seeing in some corporate office anymore. That world has gone away since the pandemic came. Well, and that's a, that's such an important distinction to make because how many companies, obviously at the beginning, you know, might have went from a fully in-person team to a fully remote. Now a lot of companies are coming back to that blend, that hybrid environment, which means that we still have those vulnerabilities out there if they're not logging in through a VPN. Which do you want to go ahead and describe what a VPN is for someone that might not be familiar with that term? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a way for you to connect to your corporate network through what's called a virtual private network. So you're tunneling through the internet, but you're secure as you're tunneling through the internet. And so it you know separates out your computer and your corporate environment into a separate virtual private network, making it secure. Meaning all the hackers sitting on the internet trying to scan you, they can't access your system um, as long as it's set up properly. But that, that that's critical if you're going to do um, tunneling back to your company and so that people can't access what you're doing. Um, otherwise, it's just clear text in some cases. Yeah, thank you for just giving the level set because I'll go. I don't have the the same, I would say, cybersecurity um, language literacy that I wish I did. Uh, but the VPN, just understanding that when you're home and if you don't have a separate way or security measure to get you into your company's drives or information, that that's a vulnerability now that you're at home. And so if you're maybe a smaller company that doesn't have that, that's something that you really need to be thinking about because that's a potential threat or vulnerability. So I appreciate you saying that. And I might even ask you for some of the other stuff too, because a firewall, let's see what agenda wall calls a firewall. A firewall is again, kind of similar to a VPN, right? Where you put up, like you say, you have to hit this authentication to be able to access and get into, you know, the information of our organization. It's still, is a firewall the same as the, like the internet security software that we have? Yeah. Yeah. Firewall is, I think of it, think of it like, like a door, right? door to your house. Um, you can control who comes in and out uh, through the door, uh, but it's primarily it should stay closed. So it's blocking you from the internet. So when people try to come into your company and access you, um, they can't because that's blocked from the internet. The only thing that can come in are the things that you want to come in. And you should divert those off to DMZs as well. Um, I used to be a firewall expert back in the day, so I'm very familiar with it. But here's the thing. Let's, let's, let's reset here a bit, Jen. Um, I did a talk about three years ago called The Death of the Firewall. And what killed the firewall? The cloud. Okay. So, you know, most startups and small, medium sized companies and even kind of satellite offices, they don't have firewalls anymore because they access everything in, you know, Box, Dropbox, Office 365, uh, you know, G Suite, everything's in the cloud. So, no need for a firewall. And so as long, but that's why you gotta have the two-factor authentication because I uh, just to double click on that really quickly. Hackers have your password. Let me just say that. Just assume they have a pass, they, they have your password. Even if it's long and complicated, they probably have your password or they could easily crack it literally within seconds. So you need that second factor where it's coming back and you're sending a text to your phone and you're typing that code or or something like that to secure you because the password is most likely compromised. You know, username, you know, see why that company name dot whatever, you know, it's, it's easy to guess that. So they have your password and username's easy. So you need to have another factor to secure yourself. So basically just assume that right now, if someone wanted to, if there is a business case or that motive for profitability, that they likely do have your password and they could go to that next level. And so you're vulnerable right there. Yeah, exactly. Let me give you an example. So Let's just say they don't have your password, but you put everything you did over the weekend on social media. Okay. So I, I look at it and I'm making up a scenario. I don't know what you did over the weekend, but I say that you were at a kid's soccer game and the kids won or whatever, and you posted pictures of it and everything else. Then somebody says, Hey, I wanted to meet you at the game. I was there too. I saw the score was 10 to 2 or whatever. I'm making up a scenario. Then you think this is a trusted person because they used everything you post on social names places, everything, 
thing to make it sound like that they, they knew that, hey, and check out this link for these pictures I took of your kid. And, and you, can, you can look at that. Do you click on the link? The minute you click on the link, it downloads something to your computer. If you don't have proper antivirus, then it's able to you know, grab your passwords, all your information. Hackers have your passwords. Holy cow. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's just so interesting to think about all the ways that we actually have to try to be ahead of this just because of how far ahead hackers actually are. And the example that you just shared reminds me of my great aunt. She just turned 94 and I appreciate her level of understanding what could be a scam, but most people don't. And yeah. someone had done that. They had seen that her grandchild was vacationing, you know, on spring break. Hey, by the way, you know, Corey's down in Orlando right now. Can't get to his phone. Can you send him money? And this is what I loved about my great aunt's response, because I think they call that like the grandma or the grandpa, like hook and scam. And my great aunt was like, are you guys still doing this one? I thought you'd be on to the next one. And she's 94. I was impressed with her level of understanding. But most people aren't aware of that. Right. Right. Of, yeah. <laughs> of using that. I just think it's, you know, it's something that we have to be mindful of anything that you put out there, even if it seems like it's related to your organization or not, it might actually be used, as you had said, to start to open the door to be able to get the information, the money, the profits, the ransom, whatever they're looking for. And so maybe this is the, you know, the, the time in the conversation to think about in what ways can security be breached or in what way can they start to open the door to get more insights into your business dealings, profitabilities, or that confidential information or IP? Well, it, it goes back to the way hacks are happening now. A lot of it's via phishing emails. And so if you think of it from the perspective of if it, you think about, I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn is one of my favorite tools. I connect with everybody on LinkedIn. But if I look at, you know, company A, I look, okay, who's IT for this company? Okay, now figure out who the IT people are with that have administrative access. Then I'm going to target them. And I, I'm not making up this scenario. This is what happened to Sony. When Sony Pictures got hacked, they attacked the IT administrators. And they sent them a phishing email related to iPhone. This is all public knowledge uh, related to iPhone. And then one or all of them clicked on it eventually, um, got their credentials compromised. Um, and then... Then at the end of the day, that led to the Sony Pictures, you know, hack. Now it started. So that's happening every single day. And, and phishing is a big deal. Business email compromise is a big deal. We have to be diligent in what we're looking for. I think the other piece of it is the cybersecurity industry. We got to be more preventative, do everything we can to prevent first. And so and I'll say this to leaders of companies, ask, ask, what is the outcome that you're getting from your cybersecurity program? Uh, because that's really important for them to understand um, getting an outcome of being secure as opposed to, oh, we're just going to save this product and you're going to figure it out. That won't work. Or we're just going to send you some alerts and you're going to figure it out. You actually have to know what value you're getting from whatever solution you're looking at. Okay, this is probably a personal question because I've had this scam twice. I know we've talked about email, but the one that I'm seeing more and more is the tech. And it would be either the text that's written from the voice of your CEO. Hey, Jen, stuck in a meeting right now. Can you go ahead and do this? And I just actually got one from another person in a different organization. And this person, I think it was easy for me to understand how they understood my connection to the CEO. Now, that one's pretty straightforward. You can look at on LinkedIn, you know, Jen works for Crosscom. Who's the CEO? Okay, that's there. 
But the second one that I received was actually with someone that was part of our network that I don't work very, don't work with very often. And so in my head, I'm like, how did they even connect the two of us? Because we never work together. How do people even find, is, is it all just starting from social media? Is that just the starting place of like, what's our objective, what we want to do? And then we're going to social media to start to put together this kind of situational experience to motivate you to do this. Like, I'm just amazed by the ways that, because I was, again, it was very easy to understand like the the scam coming from the CEO, but I'm more surprised that it now came from a different counterpart. Yeah, they, they've got some really sophisticated tools. There's tools that can use social media and leverage on LinkedIn and it can go in and, and figure out relationships. And then they can uh, literally automate this stuff. They can say, ah, okay, well, well, Jen's connected to this person. This person has a title of CEO or CFO or whatever, and they can automate it. So all the way, because it happens to us. Every time we hire somebody new, I make sure that they have my cell phone number so that um, when they do get that text eventually, that is saying, I need some gift cards or something. That, yep. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, I'll tell you, it pisses me off being a cybersecurity guy and then to have, you know, people using my name as, in a hack like that. I'm like, come on, come on. But anyway, it happens. It even happens to me. And so, but they've automated this where they can just automatically see, oh, new LinkedIn um, person. Somebody just, you know, updated LinkedIn and now work for X company. They already know who the CEO is and they can automatically, um, you know, there's this tools like um, Zoom Info and a bunch of the tools out there. They can get cell phone numbers for everybody involved and then um, send those text messages. That's 100% how it happens. It feels like my entire life slash my company slash everything I do is online. And so, you know, I understand some things. We're going to go into the solutions now. What can we do to be more mindful? But I mean, from a general sense, like how do I live my life as an individual knowing that everything I put online can be used against me? Like I know that from the organizational perspective, but how am I supposed to approach it as an individual? Because I wouldn't necessarily think, going back to your example about a soccer game, that my soccer game would bring it right back to my workplace. So let's go into the solutions. What can we do to essentially make sure that we're you know, aware, that we're prepared, and that we're secure to prevent a cybersecurity attack? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll go through um, four um, solutions. One of the things I, I alluded to earlier that I want everybody to put on their, their outcome hat, okay? And what I mean by that is when you think about cybersecurity, um, and I'll, I'll use another house analogy just to nail this home, how we as a cybersecurity industry have been failing, and I've failed for a very long time as well. Um, think about it. People are like, oh, you got to get your yearly penetration test. Well, okay, let's think about that. Wait, what's a penetration test? I am really outside of it. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good question. Thank you. Sorry. So, so what's been recommended for I don't know, let's just say twenty five years is that you need to get a, a independent firm to do a penetration test uh, of your company to see how what your company defenses look like and, and see if you actually are secure. And then if they can actually get in, they'll tell you how they get in, and then they'll tell you what steps you need to do to secure your organization. Okay. Huh? Okay, so I think I know what that is as it relates to the financial institution. They would send out the like fake kind of happy birthday emails to see like how many people would click on it. Is that an example of a penetration test? That's, that's an example of a penetration testing, but you know, phishing in particular um, to see how many people fall for the phishing attacks. So you're testing to see if there's resiliency in the cybersecurity program. Here, here's the clincher to this, though. Say say we tested a company. And they came out clean. Just most of them don't. But 
say they came out clean. The next day, they they changed every single company changes on a daily basis. New computers, new setup, new configurations, and then 50 new vulnerabilities come out every single day. And, and if you're only testing once a year, once a month, once a quarter, whatever you're doing, the hackers are hacking you every two seconds. If you're sitting on the internet, somebody's scanning you, trying to hack into you every two seconds. So if that's the case, why would you do a yearly penetration test or a six month or whatever? You need to be having security on a continuous basis. And so that's one of the, the, the flaws in the, in the thinking of the cybersecurity industry. So you got to think about continuous cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is not a one-time thing. And I just say apply the same security that hopefully we apply to our home security. So at your home, do you just lock your door once a year? Okay. No. <laughs> Whenever you leave your house, you close and lock the door and close all the windows and leave my house and we turn the alarm on. Okay. And so why would you not do that for your company? In your company, you are doing it on a continuous basis. You're doing it uh, like patching once a week or once a month or whatever, it needs to be continuous. So that's the first thing I'll share. Now, the second thing, just going into the, the, the core things that companies should, be, should have in place. Um, number one, we talked about this, multi-factor or two-factor authentication. Um, please use this within your company and your personal life. Your, your Gmail, your you know, whatever mail you use, use multi-factor authentication. It'll stop you from getting compromised. Uh, just have it sent to your phone or whatever. Um, it's easy to configure. It's not hard at all. Wait, Same but thing. can't they get to your phone? Like, that's my other piece of, like, can't they quickly see the six-digit code as well? Well, Jen, if they're looking at your phone, you got bigger problems. Yes. Most of them are going to have access to your phone. And if, like, I have an iPhone, I assume the same thing. It'll be configured on on um, on a, a Google phone as well, other phones. But configure multi-factor authentication on your iPhone, too. Um, everything needs to have it. Um, so it pops up like you like a iPhone will pop up and say, Corey, you just attempted to log in from Santa Monica, California. And you're like, oh, was that me? Yes, that was me. So you need to have it everywhere. Um, and if your phone's compromised, it's probably a nation state threat actor that's state sponsored and you're screwed anyway. Just, that's, I mean, I don't think I, I don't think they care enough about me to get to my phone, but just more trying to follow it and just say like, well, wouldn't they have that too? I mean, they seem so much more sophisticated than what I realized. And I guess maybe a point that, and this is what I saw, but I'm curious if you see this, like there are people that, and maybe me, right? Millennial, we've grown up with, te with technology. I think I'm pretty aware, but yet I, I think the thing that we have to realize is I don't care how smart you are. They are working to be that much smarter than you are. And so I don't know if you notice the tie between maybe people thinking like, oh, I'm smart. Like, I'm never going to be hacked by this. Or I know all of the phishing schemes. And then do you still see people fall prey to that? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it, <laughs> full disclosure, it, it came really close to happening to me. Uh, my my gardener services um, were sending me a bill. And it was something I was expecting to see. And then he sent me the bill. And, and said, you know, click here on this. And then it, it, it asked, uh, we need to connect your, your, I think like your Office 365 account or bank account or something. And I was like, I was about to do it. And I was like, why? why? It just, it didn't make sense. And I, I, I was, I was literally was typing in. I was like, wait a second. This isn't the correct website. They're trying to steal my credentials. And, and I went back and I told my gardener guy, um, but no, this is, you've been hacked. And he'd been hacked and they knew that I was using those services. So it looked legit. 
like to me. I was like, oh yeah, there's the bill. I was expecting it to come. So it happens to everybody. Um, and I, I would never get too comfortable because if you're targeted, they can use all the information they know about you against you. Yes. Thank you for sharing that because I mean, in your role, you're like, it can happen to anyone. They are very, very sophisticated in how they look at it. So we have to suspend a little bit of ego with more and replace it with more curiosity about does this look right? Does this not look right? So going back to the solutions, you had said it has to be ongoing. I love the metaphor of you don't just lock your door once a year, you lock it every single day. And then enabling the two-step verification or authentication. What else? Okay. The other thing is when we get the pop-ups on our laptop, computer, or phone, whatever. Hey, there's a new update. If you actually read those release notes, most of the time it says it fixes multiple security vulnerabilities or uh, fixes security issues or something like that. They don't always say exactly what they are, but a lot of them lead to you actually being compromised if you don't do it. So that's very, very important because every single day, there are about 50 new vulnerabilities and exports that come out every single day across all software, right? And so at the end of the day, if the software that you're using has a vulnerability or an exploit and you don't patch it, then the hackers have a direct way into your system or your phone or whatever. So that's very- I never thought about it like that. I thought about it as like, do I have- do I have time to do this update right now? I don't know if I have time. I mean, that's how I make the decisions. Like, I don't want to take five minutes to do this. I got, I have work to do. And I'm sure that might be why some people deny that as well, or maybe I'm alone. <laughs> some of those, there are tools out there that, that I could run against your computer and they'll scan your IP address and they'll know, ah, okay, well, Jim's vulnerable to these things. I could press a button and have a command prompt on your computer, on my computer in a matter of seconds because you didn't patch. Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So accept the updates, give yourself some more time to make sure you're allowing that software update, even if it feels inconvenient. Trust that it will, I guess, save you a headache. And of course, the vulnerability or the issue that could come from cyber attacks in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. The last one that I'll share, and there's more you can do, but these are the basics. The last one I'll share is back to our antivirus um, story, right? There are next generation antivirus solutions that actually can be configured to block the the attack. And I'll give you another house analogy. Let's just say you went down the, the Home Depot and Lowe's or whatever, and you bought the best AI cloud manageable door lock you could possibly get. And you brought it home and you put it on the kitchen counter. You still had secured your house. Or you brought it home, you actually did install it, but you didn't configure it to automatically lock itself after you walked out the door. You just configured it to just send you an alert when somebody walked into the door. Um, walk through your door. That's just like having a ring camera pointed at the front door. The front door is wide open, but I get an alert when somebody comes in. Actually configure your software to block the execution of malware. Okay? That's very important. If you have the right software that can do it, you're stopping ransomware, you're stopping malware attacks, um, key loggers, all those things. And that's that's key to securing your organization. Oh my gosh. I appreciate all those tips. And we have to go in to talk about your organization, Cyvatar.ai. So how do you help organizations or companies with these challenges? Because obviously we know that the viability and the long-term success of a company, whether it's your IP or just your overall profitability, because if they're looking at what you know you can afford to pay, depends on it. So how do you work with organizations and companies? Yeah, yeah, great question, Jess. So we built a subscription-based cybersecurity um, solution focused on small to medium-sized enterprises because that's where the biggest gap is. My, my research, in, you know, it's pretty well known, is that, you know, you got 14, 1,000, 2,000. It's like 2,000 of them. 
the vast majority of companies are small and medium-sized companies. And so they're the ones that the hackers are hacking into. And so that's when we, we read stats like um, hacks have gone up 15% year over year. Um, successful hacks have gone up, okay? We are not winning this battle. And so I built a company focused on the core things I just told you. We actually implement that for them because at the end of the day, they can't go out and hire the talent because it doesn't really exist out there. You'd be hard-pressed to find the talent to go out and do it. Um, and then the cost of figuring out what tools to get and, and how to implement them, we do all of that. Um, for our customers all in a subscription and maintain it for them on a continuous basis. So that's what we do as a business. I stopped being on the other side, making money off of what we call the insecurity of security. And I said, let's make money off of our customers being secure. So that's what we do at Sabotar. I love that. Thank you so much for giving a little bit more of an explanation to what you do, because in the era of data, like this is the power and we have to make sure that we're either protecting the assets of the company with the data that we have and also our own personal data, because we didn't touch on it, but like what happens when our own personal security is taken and someone gets our social security number or some identifier number and how that can cause long-term, you know, consequences for us, our credit, our, our financial, I guess, stability. Because this is, might be a very general or a a stupid question. I'm going to put it out there. If you're hacked, like, do organizations have insurance against that? That's like, oh yeah, I'll cover a hack up to $5 million. I mean, what, what happens when you're hacked? That is actually a fantastic question. Um, and it's not a stupid question at all. So let me explain something really quickly. This is a um, what's happening out there. And cybersecurity insurance is a big deal, okay? It, about Let's just say about 10 years ago, companies were signing up for cybersecurity insurance and they would ask, okay, do you have a firewall? Do you need to ask all the basic stuff? And then the company was like, yeah, yeah, we have it, check, check, check. Then they get hacked. Okay. Then in the, I've, I've worked with uh, several cybersecurity insurance companies, two in particular. One said that their claim rate is 90 to 100% over time. Okay. The other was like their claim rate, you know, 60 to 70% over time. But those claim rates are too high um, because at the end of the day, the stuff that I just said that you should be doing, most companies are not doing. And so then they get hacked. And then insurance companies are having to pay out. So what's happened over the last few years is premiums have started to go up. They've started to cancel policies or deny policies uh, because these companies don't have proper controls in place. Now, to give you an analogy to that, I, I do a lot of public speaking, and this is one I gave in public speaking. Just in my lifetime, you think about um, securing cars and car safety. Well, when I was a kid, and I got to say when I was born, but when, back when I was born, <laughs> um, you weren't required to be in a car seat. I'm so lucky I'm alive. Like, I was just... I'm, I'm, <laughs> So car seats didn't come out to like 1984 or something like that. So I was born way before that. Um, and then seat belts weren't even a law. Like you just get into cars and you're just bouncing around. It's like, so you think about all the things, you know, and then rear lights and and and, and rear brake lights and all, you know, anti-lock brakes, all these things happen over the last say 40 years or so. Cybersecurity, we don't have many preventative controls that are out there that are required. And so it's very hard for insurance companies to actually secure them because those preventative controls aren't there. So that's what's broken. There's a lot of maturity that has to happen there. But our company focuses on implementing those preventative controls so that you actually can be safe in, in your home or work life. All right, that's great. Thank you so much for answering that. And I, you know, just thank you for taking the time to sit down and explain some of these things and even providing the basic level definitions that some people may be less or more familiar with. Corey, how can someone get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. The easiest way is social media, LinkedIn. Uh, 
watch out. I mean, now I'm afraid of that. I don't want to connect with you. Then I'm going to have to be bought, like, get that text message just says you want me to buy some gift cards for someone. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least say, hey, I heard you on the podcast and then at least I'll know, okay, I'll accept this because I don't want to accept people I don't know. I still don't do that. But, but yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Corey D. White. Um, definitely go to Savitar.ai. Sign up for our premium offering. We offer free policies, free scans, free um, uh, risk assessments, uh, all the way built in just to help you solve your problem. Because at the end of the day, one of our, our mantras here, we don't charge you to tell you what's wrong. You already know you probably don't have good security. We'll, we'll help you figure out what those gaps are. We charge to fix it and then maintain it over time. So I look forward to you know helping people actually be secure. Yes. Oh my gosh. Me too. Thank you so much, Corey, for coming on the show. Thank you for just present more motivation for all the things that I can be doing, but really just thank you for slowing down, taking some time to help us be more aware, be more vigilant in this fight that we're all facing against cybersecurity hacks. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Corey. It was great to have you. Yeah, it was such an honor, Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I hope that you appreciated us switching it up a little bit learning something, something that we actually still have to be super mindful of, which is cybersecurity, because heck, it could impact our ability to do our jobs, our company's IP, and so much more. Now, if you want to get to know more about Corey, you can head on over to cybitar.ai. There, you can connect with him, learn more about his business. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, or if you know anyone else that would like this or be interested in hearing this perspective, please share it. And finally, if you are looking for someone to support your leadership development needs, head on over to Crestcom.com. We would love to connect with you. We offer a complimentary leadership skills workshop, and we would love to come in with your team or into your organization to help you show how leadership can be the way to a better day. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great one.